Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the Love Fruit Podcast. Today I'm joined by Dr. Timothy Trader. And Dr. Trader is a naturopath. He has a PhD in nutrition. He's also been on an all raw plant diet for over 30 years. Dr. Trader has not only helped hundreds of people to get over health problems, but he himself has overcome many uh, chronic ailments like asthma and allergies. He has found that paying attention to what foods you eat, how your life is structured, including movement, sleep, stress reduction, can help turn around health for most individuals. Um, he does not do conveyor belt medicine, but digs deep to find the cause for each individual so that problems can be turned around and not just suppressed and has helped many people where others have failed. So uh, Dr. Timothy Trader, is there anything else more that you would like to say about yourself as an introduction? Well, first, thank you, Ronnie, for having me on and uh, giving us a, a chat, a time to chat together. I enjoy our, our time together. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, like, like you, you said, uh, I've been on a raw food diet. Uh, for over 30 years, uh, 32 to be exact. Um, and there's, to me, there's just nothing that would solve the things that, that it solved so very well over the years. Uh, so I'm sticking with it. It works. Um, I've been through whole bunch of different experiments on it. Uh, I've done the oral fruit. I've done the no overt fat, uh, both of which I don't do any longer. So, um, but I've done a lot of things and maybe, just maybe, I can give a little bit of wisdom to people so they don't make the same mistakes as I've made. Excellent, thank you. And how did it start off for you? Did um, I would assume that you weren't brought up on a raw food diet. <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, otherwise I wouldn't have the allergies or the asthma uh, to start with. Uh, <laughs> oh, how far back do we want to go? Uh, uh, when I was born, my mother was 40 years old. And uh, the doctors were so concerned. They were concerned about uh, Down syndrome. Mm -hmm. They were concerned about a whole bunch of things. So they put her on a high protein diet. You know, <laughs> kind of like MedFast today. Uh, and lo and behold, I came out allergic to about everything. <laughs> wow. Uh, your allergies are a protein uh, right. reaction. So it kind of makes sense. Right, right, right. Uh, so I did, I grew up in a very American style mm -hmm. uh, with lots of limitations. Um, the only orange juice I knew was Tang. Those are the oranges. Uh, things like that. I was even allergic to my own mother's milk. 
as I was told. Uh, they put me on uh, condensed cow's milk instead. And whew, that's some pretty bad stuff. <laughs> anyway, uh, I went through my life with allergies and, and asthma and I lived in Los Angeles. So every time there was a smog alert, I was having an asthma attack. Uh, and uh, I was pretty severe. So I went through life trying to do things. I, I had some good doctors who really tried. Uh, they were very big on taking care of me. Uh, a very rarity of, of, of allergists who would not put me on steroids for my asthma because it affects your heart. And they were very wise about this. And so they were trying desperately not to hurt me in the long run. So I was, I'm very thankful for that. Um, anyway, growing up, uh, had some issues, but did okay. Uh, when I was 18, it seemed that a lot of my allergies shifted. One of my favorite foods up until then was watermelon. And one day, watermelon closed my throat shut. And thank goodness my father was very reactive and jumped in and, and took care of things. And, and yeah, it was with medicine, but uh, anyway, I'm still here. <laughs> wow. It's really good. Uh, and so I had a lot of problems with that. So when I was 18, I asked the allergist, could I become vegetarian? You know, it just seemed the most logical way to go instead of, he said, nope, you <laughs> got to eat meat because it's the only protein that you can handle. Well, wait a minute, I'm allergic to meat too. Well, you're not as allergic to it. <laughs> so I went for a number of more years thinking I can't become a vegetarian. And back in 78, I had never heard the word vegan. So I don't think it was really going to be uh, anything more than vegetarian. But anyway, uh, I started looking for, for answers. And I was going to college and I was looking for answers. And I just, I wanted to know why I had my problems. One day I was called into the counselor's office at the university and they said, did you know that you've almost completed prerequisites for med school? Huh? No, no idea. I, I'm, I'm, I'm playing around here, at, you know, going to school. Uh, I'm learning. I'm, I'm, but I've taken all my anatomy, my biochem, all that kind of stuff. So they kind of offered me a, a really good, sweet deal. And they said, well, maybe you go to uh, med school. 
I never even thought about being a doctor. Never even thought. But in doing the last little bit of, of prerequisites, I knew that one of my problems was muscle movement. Even though I had, I had done a lot of, of exercise stuff way earlier uh, in, in school. But I thought, okay, well, they're offering this kinesiology class. Okay, let's just take that and, you know, get a little bit more experience to this. Well, it wasn't a medical kinesiology class. It was the kinesiology that we refer to as muscle testing. Oh, yeah. And it was taught by two herbalists. And so I started listening to what they were saying about their herbs and stuff. And I'm, okay, let's give this a try. Why not? I've tried everything else. Let's give this a try. I was feeling a little bit better with this. So, okay. Let's see. Let's try a little bit more. And I kept going into it a little bit more and more. I eventually got my uh, uh, certificate in as a master herbalist. And I went, okay. So I, I took some time off and, and went down to study with Bernard Jensen. I'll bet you know about Bernard Jensen there, Ronnie. Uh, I know I know the name for sure, but I'm I'm I wasn't aware that he would have been alive in your lifetime, actually. I thought he might have been a bit a bit farther back than that. Yeah. Well, I actually met him. We were doing a conference. Well, not we, but I was part of it. Um, and he was came up to speak for the conference. And uh, he really interested me. So I started studying his books and stuff. And, and so I went down to San Diego area, uh, Escondido, and took three months, studied with him, learned iridology. And I went, oh, yeah, yeah. I was really excited. So I went to med school for a little bit. A little bit. But here I am, I'm doing, I come in with, with my juices and my this and my that. And there are times that I would do uh, uh, garlic enemas and nobody wanted to sit next to me in class <laughs> for the lecture. No, I, I couldn't imagine why. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so I started being called the quack because <laughs> I was doing all this alternative stuff. But it was helping me. It's helping me, but some of the stuff that I'm doing really wasn't helping me. Uh, I'm going to take one thing in, in particular. I was taking Mawang for my asthma. Okay, Ma Wang has a Chinese name. Most people don't 
it's called here ephedra. It's an amphetamine. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't doing myself much help here, but I was feeling great. Uh, I could work uh, eight hours a day, go to med school and get my studying done. I was doing good. <laughs> uh, but I didn't realize what I was doing to my body. Anyway, being the quack in med school got to be so bad that I withdrew. Um, because it, the, the stress was enough in med school alone, but when you get a label and shunned by a lot of your uh, other students, it gets pretty hard. I kind of wish today that maybe I stuck with it, but this is the path that, that I did have, and so it led me to a lot of good things. So I ended up going back and changing my, my degree to naturopath. Because it seemed to be a little bit more aligned with me. And I got through and got my naturopathic degree. I still didn't know enough. I was not well. I still was not well. Mm -hmm. I have a doctorate and I'm not well. So... I found a school down in Texas, University of Texas at Austin, that uh, said that I could come in and study. I was living in South Dakota, up north, and Texas was directly south. So I had a practice up in South Dakota, so it's kind of hard to stop everything including dealing with my wife at the time. Uh, so I made arrangements where I would go down and cram for a week and then go back and, and live my life. Well, when I was down there, I, I started thinking, well, why don't we just eat some fruits and veggies? Why don't we just eat primarily fruits and veggies? And it comes back to, you know, when I was 18, that saying, this makes sense to me, it being a vegetarian, you know, it just, and of course, at, at school, they said, well, yeah, you should be eating mostly fruits and veggies, but you got to eat the other stuff too. You got to realize what, what going through nutrition school is like, what they would serve for a nutritious meal for Fundraisers included things like French fries <laughs> and chocolate cake. Uh, this is what we're supposed to be eating? I'm yeah. not so sure. And, and the, the literature even back then was saying, mm -mm, this doesn't work. Anyway, they had this guy who was a local guy who said, why can't you guys prove that raw fruits and veggies heal people? And of course they went, mm, we're not gonna go there. But one, one time I was talking with a teacher 
teacher said, well, we got this guy who keeps bugging us to prove raw fruits and veggies. Why don't you go give him a talk and, and maybe you, you'll, you'll find something that really works for you. I went, okay. So I called him up. I said, I introduced myself. And I, I said, I understand that you're wanting some help from the university. I don't think you're going to get it. And he said, well, I want to tell you about it. So he ended up sending me a box of literature. It was natural hygiene stuff. The man was T.C. Fry. Yeah. He was located close to Austin. So I read the, the whole box. Wait a minute. It says here, asthma can be reversed on a raw fruit and, and veggie diet. Nobody's ever talked about reversal. It, it's always been management, management, management. Okay, so my attention was full on. And so I started reading everything that I could get my hands on about natural hygiene and trying to go to school too and have a practice. And long story short, this is getting pretty long though. <laughs> That's good. Um, I started really getting into it and with the help of, of TC Fry, uh, understanding what was going on. And so I started changing my diet a little bit. One of the things I, I knew better was to get rid of milk. Milk and asthma just don't go together. And I was supposed to be allergic to it anyway. So, you know, get rid of the dairy and stuff. So I, I did more vegetarian stuff. Uh, I picked up uh, some rice ice cream at the health food store. And you have to realize my idea of health food was potato chips, organic potato chips from the health food store. That's health food. And I remember seeing a chart for food combining at the health food store. And I said, I'm taking herbs, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And I, now I got to combine my my food too? Oh, that's just too much. Well, funny thing is, I've been doing it for the last 32 years. <laughs> um, no, there's no science behind food combining, but it's worked for me. Mm -hmm. So I'll go with that. Uh, anyway, so on September 6, 1990, I decided to, to do it all. So I went all raw. Um, lots of mistakes at the first. Uh, and that's kind of par for the course. We do what we need to do to find out and to learn. Um, I started doing some fasts. And at the end of October of that year, 
I had a really bad asthma attack. Uh, I threw away my inhaler before that. I had nothing. My wife at the time was really worried about me. I was turning blue. I said, no, I'm gonna keep drinking my water and I will be fine. It's kind of a fool thing to do, but <clears throat> I got through it. My wife even called up. Uh, we were living in a, a small town. We knew a lot of people. Uh, so she called up the police chief. She called up a judge trying to get me Baker acted. Baker acted, for those who don't understand, is when the police feel that you can no longer take care of yourself, that the state has to come in and help you. But the judge said, oh, Doc, Doc, he's one of the most reasonable people I know. Let's see if he can get through this. But if he loses consciousness, call me right away. In fact, don't call me, call an ambulance and, and we'll take care of it. So that was fine for my wife. I mean, she was worried. Um, I made it through, no problems. I'm, well, it, breathing is kind of a problem, but uh, I made it through. And that was the last asthma attack I have ever had. I knew something was working at that point. Uh, my wife didn't like seeing me lose my weight. I was doing a lot of fasting, you know, no more than a week, but I was doing some fasting and I got pretty skinny uh, and it, it can happen when the body is exchanging new material for old, old material. Uh, the difference in our diet and many other things made things kind of rough for my wife. And so uh, she asked me to leave. And my getting skinny prompted, again, I was living in a small community. And it was a time that AIDS was pretty big in the news. So the big worry in town was that Doc had AIDS. <laughs> I lost most of my practice and went to work for a mine for a while. But anyway, so then I decided I'm going to have to get into this hygiene thing and I need to understand more about fasting. I need some practical. So at that time, TC Fry's uh, retreat was being closed down by the state. And a few other things were going on. So one other place would take me on as an intern, but I was not able to talk about raw food at all. I had to talk about veganism, basically, hygiene and, and cooked food. 
they usually broke people on baked potatoes. And I didn't feel alignment to them. <laughs> but then I, I sent a letter out to a place called Club Hygiene, place down in the Florida Keys. Oh, I got a response. They called me back. He said, yeah, we're interested in having you come. Oh, great. Um, and so I talked with the director, Dr. Doug Graham. And he goes, are you going to be at the hygiene conference in next month? I went, yeah, I am going to be at the hygiene conference. He goes, good, we'll talk. So now I had more inspiration to go to the hygiene conference. So I met Dr. Doug Graham at Washington DC hygiene conference. And the first night that we met, we talked until two o'clock in the morning. Uh, all of a sudden, oh my goodness, it's two o'clock. We gotta get going. <laughs> anyway, so it was one of those exciting times. And it was a good click between us. And it seems to have been a good friendship ever since. Mm -hmm. uh, so I traded South Dakota for the Florida Keys. On my way down, I had packed up a moving van, put all my stuff into a moving van, and headed to the Keys. On my way, I was in Chicago visiting a friend. I had friends all along the way. Uh, a friend that eventually became uh, president of the Natural Hygiene Association. Uh, I mean, stop. But we had he had the news on, and he goes, uh, Hurricane Andrew is heading towards the Keys. I'm like, uh-oh. By the time I got to Georgia and was staying at my cousin's house, CNN said the keys were gone. That's a quote. The keys are gone. And I went, that's where I'm going. <laughs> so I, 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 I jumped out on faith and still kept going. Couldn't get a hold of anybody down in club hygiene until I got to Sarasota, Florida. And I talked to Dr. Graham and he said, go ahead, we're still here. Everything's okay. It basically went north of us, but do not stop anywhere in Miami. Fuel up before you get to Miami. You won't have any signs on the highway, but do not stop because a lot of the relief vans are rental vans and people are raiding them. You don't want to miss your stuff. <clears throat> so I said, okay. So I went down and did exactly, found my way, got there. And uh, the internship was supposed to be six months. I stayed a couple of years. Mm -hmm. uh, learned a lot. 
Uh, one of the things I learned in South Dakota is I didn't like star fruit. <laughs> they had some star fruit and it was green and it was it wasn't tasty at all. So I got down there and and they had trees of star fruit. And they said, this is a great breakfast. I went, uh-uh, I've had star fruit. I'm not, no, no, no. You, where did you have star fruit? I said, South Dakota. How green was it? That was green. You need to try this. So I got an education about a whole bunch of new fruit that I had never, ever seen before. Anyway, uh, so I got a great education, uh, lots of experience working with Dr. Graham. And then went on my own and said, I need to do more research. Research seems to be what I do. So I went to a university up in Tampa and just did research. Uh, worked a little bit did research, uh, found out that there's a lot of raw foodists out there. And it wasn't, I had been alone for the most part until I got to club hygiene. But I learned a lot of just going through life. So I went from Tampa to Miami. No, I went to DC back to DC uh, where I ended up teaching at the university for a while. Uh, again, the university, I was not allowed to teach about fruits and veggies and don't, don't you dare say don't eat meat. So that job didn't last too very long. I went to Miami, I've, I've been to Anyway, I've been to scores of other places, uh, getting to know what fruit and, and veggies do. Mm -hmm. uh, so I've been around. Uh, I've worked for a couple of fasting institutes. I've one of the problems I usually find with fasting institutes is it's more expensive to feed people. So people walk away without really good habits. Right. They, they're still weak when they leave. Yeah. And that gives them more of an open door to, you know, you get into an airport and trying to find some good Fruit in an airport is almost impossible. Mm -hmm. I mean, okay, so you might be able to find an apple. You might be able to find a really green banana. <clears throat> but, yeah. So the first thing they do is when they're hungry, they're going to grab something else. Sure, sure. They don't have the good habits. They don't have, they don't have the strength at that point. So I, I, I see some things <clears throat> where we really need to pay attention to some, some things for people in our community. 
my research is <clears throat> I found I found a lot of conflicts in what I believed and what the science was saying. So like you, Ronnie, I found that uh, there's a few myths mm -hmm. going around our community. And uh, so it, it's one of the things I really like to focus on is taking care of some of the things that might not always be as productive as possible. Sure, sure. Well, that's a, I mean, that's a brilliant introduction to your, your life and your journey. That's fantastic. Really appreciate that. Um, I'd like to, let's, let's go into a few, few questions. You, you talked a little bit about um, the transition towards a raw food diet and how difficult did you find that? And what are some of the mistakes that you see people make with that? <clears throat> um, excuse me. Um, my transition was gung ho. There were some things that went on, yeah. My first Thanksgiving, the wife said, you're not doing some bananas for, for Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> you're gonna to have to cook something. <clears throat> okay. So I found a recipe from TC Fry that I thought that might work. It was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it was an eggplant thing and, and nah. <laughs> Um, but I did, I did see that, you know, I had been all raw until that point for just, you know, two months. And, uh, I found that, boy, this can be really a drawback. It's, it brings up a lot of brain chemistry, basically looking for that dopamine fix. Right. And so I tried, I tried staying away from it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Anyway, um, I had, I had what I called patience at that time. I don't call people patients anymore. I don't call them clients. I don't call them, they are health partners because it takes two of us to talk. Nobody knows a person like they know themselves. Right. So they are a viable part of their health. It's not about a doctor telling you what to do. Sure, I tell people some suggestions and especially right off when I start working with somebody, there's things that I see that we need to do and if they're willing for it we'll do it if not well then we go back to the drawing board and try again 
Um, but so back then I, I had a patient who felt sorry for me uh, being alone by myself, knowing that the, my wife had kicked me out and, and stuff. And so she went down and found out about all things vegan. She didn't have any idea what, uh, that I was doing a raw food diet. But so she said, can I have you over for dinner? I said, sure, I'll take a free meal. Um, she made a vegan pizza. <laughs> and it wasn't really vegan. It had soy cheese on it. And the soy cheese had casein. Right. So I felt obligated to have this. And I went, oh, how bad can it really hurt me? Oh, my goodness. Ah, it was so bad. I mean, it was good tasting, uh, but I hadn't had any wheat product. I hadn't had casein for like a near a year. Yeah. Um, and it did cause some some problems breathing later that night. Thank goodness, not in her presence and stuff and but it started something in me that really gave me a whole understanding what a gift some people would say oh that's terrible but i found an addiction to cheese that i never realized i had had before obviously i did but i had no idea So I had to deal with this addiction and I just found out that the longer you stay away, the easier it is. And so today when I see people trying to transition, I don't go for the slow approach. We'll just put a little bit, yes, there are people who cannot or will not do all raw. Okay. Can you do all plant? Can you do no processed foods? Draw the line. Draw the line. And just don't cross it. Have a higher standard for yourself. But keep to a, a draw that line. And you find that it, it works a lot easier on people in the long run because I found out that addiction was big. And it's really hard. And some people, uh, well, as they call it, fall off the wagon, get back on. That's all you have to do. Yep. Do not beat up on yourself because all that does is make more stress and more stress means that you want more relief and more relief means going to the bad stuff. Personally, everybody's looking for dopamine and serotonin raises. That's the secret to being addicted. Can, can you talk about that? I mean, I think that that's something that 
maybe people don't appreciate enough and food addiction and dopamine and things like that can you can you explain that a little bit how that all works what happens even in anticipation a front something that we would call a treat <clears throat> you start to raise dopamine in your brain ah we want more so when you eat you raise the dopamine it doesn't even have to the the food doesn't have to get into your system it's eating that will raise dopamine okay raising dopamine okay dopamine is a feel-good hormone uh neurotransmitter that's really really great stuff why don't we want more dopamine there's nothing wrong with more dopamine. Get some spotted bananas. You know what spots the bananas? Dopamine. <laughs> Eat some bananas. But find joy in the food that you eat as well. So it becomes real big. Uh, the problem with food addiction is that your brain gets used to so much dopamine. And so it needs to have a, a higher amount of dopamine to do the same effect. Now, getting to that same effect means more junk food. Yeah. This doesn't work. So let's find a replacement for it. And what I like to do is and I'm not big on rewards, but find something else that pleasures you. If that means going out and saying, you know what? I didn't eat any junk food this week. I'm going to give myself, I'm going to treat myself to a massage. Much better choice, much better choice. Uh, so those kind of things, really help. Uh, for me, um, one of the things that really made the difference was getting out in nature. Didn't matter what kind of nature it was. I like forests. Uh, I love being in the forest. But being out in the desert does it too. When you're down in the Florida Keys, uh, there's water and mangroves. That's your nature for the most part. Yeah. And it's really beautiful if you look for it. And it made a difference for me. And they actually find that, that being out in nature heightens your dopamine and your serotonin. Now, going back to your bananas, not only do they have dopamine, but they have some serotonin. Actual dopamine and serotonin. We're not talking about Tryptophan, the precursor to serotonin. Yes, it does have tryptophan. But it also has real serotonin. Wow. It is something that the banana plant has created so that it can originally spread its seed. Mm -hmm. Of course, we know bananas today 
even if they do have a little bit of a seed, they're not viable. Yeah. But, so uh, there are things that you can do that can make a difference. I've, um, I've wondered why is it the case then, for example, so I can, I understand that certain junk foods have been designed specifically probably to be more addicting to people. But mm. let's, let's say the case of certain cooked foods being difficult to give up, potatoes, pasta, bread, things like that. And, and um, why is it that people find those more appealing than fruit, for example? Is it purely that cooked foods and those kind of foods raise dopamine more? And why do they do that? Uh, they do raise dopamine more, but number one, it's habitual. If you're the macho guy, mm -hmm. you eat steak and potatoes. It's not just steak. Okay, the carnivores, they're, they're into just eating the steak. Um, but we're brought... Most people in the Western world are brought up with uh, meat and potatoes or rice and chicken. Mm -hmm. uh, you go to a local chicken store um, here, uh, some franchise, and they offer chicken and rice. It just kind of goes together. But that's yeah, starch and protein. Starch and protein. Now we're going to go back to combining and proper food combining. And we find that the, the protein takes a whole lot longer to digest in the stomach. The starch really wants to get out of the stomach and into the duodenum, the first part of the intestine, where it's hit with some starch breaking down enzymes. And so what happens is it stays in the stomach and it stays and starts to ferment. And so now we're looking at another addictive quality. Alcohol can be really dangerous. Just this week, in, in a journal of psychiatry, they said, you know what, there is no acceptable amount of alcohol that doesn't damage the brain. Yeah. That's pretty simple. And yet, okay, you can have somebody uh, who... Uh, is an alcoholic who stays away from alcohol, from booze completely. And yet they seem to be drunk sometimes. What is it? It's the food. <laughs> um, I spent some time working at a, a rehab center for drugs and alcohol. 
And uh, looking back on that now, what they were serving the people was not helping them. So the alcohol, and sometimes it, it can be, what, what, what do we put starches with? What do we put the potatoes with? What do we put the rices with? If you were to eat it just plain baked, most people would say, no, I'm not having it. For most people, they put butter, margarine, uh, olive oil, if you're doing the Mediterranean diet, on your baked potato. Same thing goes with, with, with rice. Sometimes they put cheese on things like that. Uh, it's even compounding things even more. Um, but now there are different people in, in the vegan community that uh, say, do not do the oils, but do the starches. And maybe they get a little bit better off, but what we do when, when we talk about the addiction to starches, we're really not talking about the starch. We're talking about the combination of how we eat it. And so it, it becomes the real thing, you just have to have to dig down a little bit deeper. It's, you know, when you, when you put olive oil on a baked potato, it's going to cause alcohol and it's going to cause an addiction situation. If you eat just a regular piece of fruit, There was a guy a long time ago, uh, he doesn't believe in this anymore, but he used to say, go a week without a piece of bread. No problem, it's a big problem, right? It's, it's for a lot of people who are of the Western diet persuasion, going without any wheat for a week is really hard. Mm. Then he said, Go out and go without a banana for a week. No problem. Yep. For you and I, now that might be a different trying to get our calorie <laughs> needs met without bananas may be a little bit of a problem. Uh, we'd be sitting down eating a little bit more fruit for sure. And hopefully that would happen in the summertime when there's more vari variability of fruit available for us. But Anyway, um, the thing is that, that we need to start looking at the simplicity of the diet can make the difference. My nieces, I have two nieces, my brother's daughters, um, who don't like fruit won't touch fruit. Um, and I understand why. God bless them. You know, they're, they're sweet ladies. Uh, but 
they were based on desserts and candy bars and stuff like that. Yeah. And that's far sweeter. So a lot of our, our, our society is not into fruit. And it takes a while to get used to it. But once you get used to it, there's nothing else. It's the it's the thing to go for every time. What's, oh, yeah. yeah, go ahead. What's a typical day for you at the moment? Typical day for me. Uh, I start off the day uh, with some calisthenics. About a half hour's worth of calisthenics. Earn my breakfast. Breakfast is uh, a smoothie right now. Uh, sometimes it's watermelon. Sometimes um, it's just a, a bunch of fruit. Um, then I usually do uh, a big uh, weightlifting routine for about an hour. Uh, then I eat lunch. And my lunch is definitely always a green smoothie. Uh, right now, uh, grapes are pretty abundant. So I have grapes in there with some bananas and and I mean green smoothie. I get enough calories, but I also get a lot of greens. Um, I'm throwing in about uh, half a pound of kale and half a pound of romaine. Um, then in the evening, I go for a run. Not very long. But um, then I eat, and I eat a big salad. And I mean a big salad. A uh, couple pounds of greens, which includes celery, dandelion greens, kale, uh, romaine, Something else, I can't remember. Anyway, um, I put a little bit of broccoli sprouts in there as well. Uh, some tomatoes. Uh, if there's some cucumber or pepper, bell pepper, uh, red bell pepper from the garden available, throw that in. And I usually put a dressing on top of it. Uh, almost always a berry dressing. And when you have a huge salad, it takes a lot of dressing. And I like my dressing. So we're talking 10 ounces of berry. Um, and in that, I might add a little orange as well. Um, I usually get about uh, a little, about a pound and a half of oranges as well in my dinner. Sometimes it's dessert. Um, but uh, 
I, I blend up berries all, all the time. I put in a, a, about uh, 10 grams of chia seed. And I usually put in some seeds as well, other seeds like pumpkin or uh, sesame seed or sunflower seed in there. Now I'm talking no more total than two ounces of seed. So it's just a little bit mm -hmm. um, to get a balance of, of things. The chia seed is specifically there for my omega-3s. It also happens to have some good lignans in it, uh, which is really great. Um, anyway, I blend that all up and it makes a really thick, creamy dressing. Pour that on the salad and I'm ready to go. So, um, the other things I do is, is uh, I work <laughs> during the day. And that could be boring for most people. So we'll just leave that out. <laughs> <laughs> and do you do any supplements, anything like that? I do B12. Mm -hmm. um, I might do a couple other things. But I don't, I don't talk about my supplements because people say, well, he's doing that, so I should be doing it. No. What you should be doing is what you should be doing. Yeah. <clears throat> the reason I do B12 is I believed the thought that uh, we don't need B12, that our colon, the gut bacteria in the colon, make all the B12 we need. So I went with that. And then one day I, I have a... I test, I do, and I hadn't really tested my homocysteine since I've been wrong. So I thought uh, I have had a friend, a vegan friend, have a heart attack while running. And so I started looking into it and my vegan friend, I don't think took B12. And homocysteine can cause heart disease uh, for vegans. Mm -hmm. So I checked my, my homocysteine. My homocysteine was sky high. The highest homocysteine I had ever seen as a practitioner. <laughs> I knew I had to do something. So I went out and checked out some things. To this day, I still have a homocysteine regulation problem. And I discovered my homocysteine problem back in 2008. So it's something I have to monitor over and over. And my B12, well, let's back up a little bit. One of the reasons why we don't see B12 problems as vegans, especially raw food vegans, is that we get a lot of folate.
Folate will hide B12, B12 deficiency symptoms. So um, mine was hidden pretty much, but we found out that I have some nerve damage because of it. And after finding it in me, I found homocysteine problems in a lot of people I work with. And so not just because I have a problem and you, you have your practitioners out there because, well, I have a problem. So obviously you are going to have a problem too. I'm not that way. I'm not that way. I say, let's check it out first. And I test three things. I, I test B12, folate, and homocysteine. And the three of them, the, the, the tests themselves don't cost much money as far as testing concerned. Um, if you have to pay for it out of pocket. Uh, most people have insurance and insurance doesn't even, oh yeah, go ahead. <laughs> it's, it's not a problem. But those three, sometimes you find a decent B12, but really sky high homocysteine. Uh, other times you, you might find uh, a high folate and almost okay homocysteine, but poor B12. That gives us a whole story. And so um, I pretty much recommend supplementing with B12. And I don't recommend cyanobacter, uh, the cyano B12 cobalamin. Uh, I go with the methyl or anacetyl. Definitely a much better choice. It's what the body uses and needs. So cyanocobalamin has a tendency, it's made from cyanobacteria. Cyanobacteria eat cyanide. This is not really something that we want to be getting into and they have found cyanide in cyanobacteria. I mean, in cyanocobalamin. Right. So let's not go there, people. It might be the cheapest B12, but let's not go there. Sure. So you talked about some uh, myths and things like that. What are some of the other maybe bad ideas that you've come across in the alternative health and raw foods world? Um, myths, bad ideas, things you said were unproductive. What are some of the main culprits, you think? Oh, we were talking about supplements here. Um, Supplements uh, for you, I know, is a big subject. <laughs> um, and I have to agree with you on a lot of the, the things about supplements. Um, taking a synthetic multivitamin because you're doing junk food and you think it's making going to make things all right, doesn't happen. It just... <clears throat> And again and again, the science shows that you get so much better 
nutrition out of whole food than you do supplements. They did a study. Uh, this You probably know about the study about cooked tomatoes versus raw tomatoes and how the cooked tomatoes gives us more uh, carotenes, lycopene. Lycopene, yeah. <clears throat> and so the same guy who did that did another thing on this apple. And we'll talk about, about cooked tomatoes here in a second. But he did a thing on an apple. And he found out that the components of the apple, the nutrition of the apple, acted in a synergistic way that was more productive than if you had taken all the single nutrients by themselves. Yeah. That's it in a nutshell. Get the stuff from whole food. Uh, protein powders. How many raw vegans are eating protein powders? It doesn't have the B vitamins that you, your body needs to adjust the proteins. One scoop a protein powder doesn't even have the amount of protein that you find in half a head of lettuce, a romaine lettuce. Which is a better choice here, people? I think I'm going for the romaine lettuce for my protein. Uh, so, yeah, supplements are a big thing. Uh, one of the things that you tag is barley grass powder juice or juice powder. Yeah. Right. Um, you and I are on the same page. Um, <laughs> the thing is I've gone through and I've analyzed, uh, you pick on daily uh, green boost <laughs> in one of your videos. Um, I've daily, I don't pick on them, but they are, they've given more information on what they have in their product than any other company that has barley powder. So we take that and we compare it to romaine. Down the line. <laughs> I, I equal it out by how much Each one is supposed to give an equivalent so that I give an, an equal estimate and I go down and romaine. I mean, if I really want to compare something, let's just compare kale. Kale is packed. A lot of the other cruciferous vegetables are packed. So well, let's just go through romaine. Romaine beets, barley grass, juice powder every single time right right by eons worth of stuff so anyway so i'm not big on supplements but i am big on supplements when they are needed 
And when they are shown, because I, I do testing. I don't know how you feel about testing. Um, but I do nutrition testing. I do, uh, I do uh, stool testing uh, to find out really what's going on. Hippocrates uh, said, all disease starts in the gut. Yeah. And when you're feeding it junk food, you've, you're growing disease for sure. Anyway, so I test and I see that there's a problem and I, I see where maybe somebody is in a place in the world that they can't get something enough of. Uh, it's rare, but so let's take... So I, I had not too long ago had somebody who was uh, really low in vitamin C uh, first thing we did was we got kale into them kale is a great vitamin C source they, could, they had kale but they couldn't get oranges they couldn't get strawberries they couldn't get a whole bunch of stuff so I said well maybe until we can get you a source of food-borne vitamin C. A little bit of, of buffered C might be better and it helped them recover. So yeah, uh, there are times. Do I recommend uh, buffered vitamin C for everybody? Absolutely not. In fact, I don't like recommending it at all. But there's times when we have to get somebody over a hump mm -hmm. so i will go with a little bit of supplement at that point you've got a article on your website about iodine what, what are your thoughts on iodine something <laughs> supplementing with that too much of a good thing is still too much of a good thing um there is a a group of people, uh, some raw, some not, who think that doing more than what is recommended uh, is probably a good thing. I find that it doesn't do a good thing getting the right amount, right where, we're at, where we do, um, is a good thing. For me personally, uh, my mother had thyroid problems. I'm not real sure, but I think she her thyroid was irradiated because she had Graves, which is an excess of thyroid hormone. And so they raided her. I think she, I don't know for sure. She has passed, so I do not know. Um, never thought to ask when she was alive. But she always took thyroxin and was not allowed to have iodine in the salt. Right. So we, I grew up not having any iodine. 
So there might have been a shortage there for my life. And then I got into things like uh, high sodium diets didn't work. So I did without sodium completely. And that meant less iodine. And then I got into the raw food and, and some hygienists believe that, that you do not partake in seaweed or anything like that. So I did without. No problems, really. Uh, but maybe I spent most of my life a little bit low on the iodine. So now I do do the smallest amount of kelp each day. And I do mean small. Uh, I get 0 0.06 grams of kelp a day. I measure it out. I've, oh. I've seen problems with too much and I've seen problems with too little. So I, I get what I need. And my serum iodine checks out. Every time, perfect. That's where I want it to be. Yeah, yeah. Now, a lot of people who are doing high iodine say, oh, don't do that test. That's not accurate. So what do they do? They do a urine test, a urine loading test. So you're to load up and how quickly you get rid of the iodine tells you how deficient you are. Well, the problem is that when you do high amounts of something, the body won't absorb it all. The body says, I've got enough. So it sends it down to be extracted yeah. via your, your stool. Mm -hmm. Oh, now we have another problem. Iodine kills bacteria and you're sending it into your good bacteria mm -hmm. to help you do your stuff. Now we got a problem. And the thing is, Every time that I see somebody who's been doing high iodine, just every time, I see problems in their gut. Oh, wow. And so I, I, can't, I can't go with that. Yeah. Uh, so, but if it's going out in the gut, you're not going to be urinating. That's the big thing. And so they're going to say, oh, you're deficient. Right. No, your body's working properly. So let's. I see. So the serum iodine has been proven again and again and again and again to be accurate. I see. For iodine. And it doesn't mean that if you had some yesterday, it's going to be higher. It will be a little bit higher, but for the most part, if you haven't had any for a week, the body still stores that and is using it. So it will come out pretty much equal. So I go with that. And I don't think we want to take much more time on iodine here. Sure. If they want to look at my, my article on, on my website and go with that. So something I'm also curious about, Tim, is the conferences you went to and the events and things like that uh, throughout your career. and 
especially with the raw food movement, I get the feeling that a fruit-based diet was not always necessarily uh, encouraged or promoted by a lot of leaders in the raw food movement. And I, I, I'd like to hear some of your stories or insights into some of your experiences with different events and uh, different situations like that. Sometimes it, it, it kind of got to me a little bit. Um, there was a speaker once who said, I can do more push-ups now than when I was eating fruit. And I wanted to get up and say, okay, let's do push-up challenge right now, you and me. <laughs> <clears throat> I knew at the time that I could push out 100 push-ups without stopping. I still can. But thank goodness I had uh, Professor Rosalind Graham sitting right next to me. And I started getting up and she held me back. <laughs> Don't you dare. <laughs> so I, I don't think I'd ever actually done it, but I... It was something that, so yeah, it used to really get to me. Now it, it's like, let's, let's talk to science because the science always comes about. <clears throat> you want to talk about a high fat diet? This is one of the myths out there, I think. The high fat diet you know, uh, is not something that, that is something that, that we need to do. Uh, greens and high fat, greens and high fat. I go for the greens, but every time that we take a look at a high fat diet, we see low energy. You talk to everybody, it's low energy. Is that something that's really something that we want to do? Um, high fat diet affects everything. Oh, they say, oh, it produces ketones. And the brain does better on ketones than it does on sugar. Well, actually, the science says differently. After a while, the brain can't deal with ketones. Right. Now it might take a year, it might take two years, but the brain does not deal with ketones in the long run. If you're doing a fast, a really long fast, uh, 21 days, maybe longer, the brain does really well. People say, Oh, my thinking's clear and all. It's not because of the ketones, people. It's the serotonin. Okay, we're back to serotonin again here, huh? Serotonin helps you move things through your digestive tract. When your digestive tract is going, ah, I don't have to work so bad today. It saves up all this extra serotonin. Actually, 
it saves up the tryptophan because tryptophan is changed into the in the brain itself into serotonin. Mm -hmm. Serotonin is too big of a molecule to get through the blood-brain barrier. But that means more tryptophan for the brain. So the brain works fantastically better during a fast. I'll take anybody who's on in ketosis in a fast, and I'll put them up against somebody who's doing a high-fat diet. And, on and they're in ketosis as well. And the faster we'll be able to do the math problems so much quicker, uh -huh. be able to figure things out so much better and in more detail. And that, now, there's no science study done on that. It's just something I have observed. Yeah. So I really can't say this is the absolute how it is, but my... My experience is that this is where it goes. But the high fat diet, let's talk about diabetes. The raw food world loves high fat diet and talking about diabetes. Well, The high fat diet actually increases insulin resistance. That's why people on uh, ketone, uh, ketogenic, ketogenic diets have a tendency to, um, if they eat some fruit or they eat some carbohydrate, they react severely. Why is that? Because their cells are not getting the sugar and it's going to react. I mean, you, you go to the, the, the keto diet uh, groups and they're all talking about, oh, if I ate a piece of, of, of donut, I, I'm, I'm in trouble. You know, I just react. So I'm obviously, yeah, this is, I, I'm obviously not something that I'm, I should be doing. Yep. Um, and we see that. <laughs> What it does is it controls the blood sugar because it's not going to go sky high because you're not feeding the body sugar. But the thing is, <clears throat> ketones don't rule the world, as some keto diet people would say. Because I don't care if you're in a fast in ketosis. I don't care if you're doing a high-fat diet and you're in ketosis. You still have a blood sugar of a normal person. Always. The body cannot run without a blood, the, a proper blood sugar. Now, it might not get so high, but it doesn't mean that you're taking care of the diabetes. You're hiding the diabetes. That's not good. It's not a heal. It's, whereas um, the boys from, from Mastering Diabetes... They've shown being on a raw food, high fruit diet can take type 2 diabetes and literally turn it around. So. Yep, yep. I was going to ask you something slightly different. Do, do you, 
value um, any practices like meditation, prayer, breath work, anything of that nature for uh, as part of a healthy lifestyle? Absolutely. Um, there was a, a, a thing in some old hygienic literature saying, don't worry about your breath. You know, if you need more breath, go for a run. Something like that. One of the things I see very, very often is that people breathe very shallow. You take somebody with, with chronic fatigue syndrome and they're, they're, just, they're, they're struggling in getting the breath. And if you train them to breathe deep, abdominally, um, you find that all of a sudden their fatigue seems to be a lot less. And, then, and not all of a sudden. It, it, it might take a year. It might take more. But if you get them to, this is why. At the base of your spine, you have a group of nerves that are impacted by your breathing. Now, it's at the base of the spine. It's not in the middle, in the thoracic part of the spine. It's in the lumbar. And if you deep breathe, you get these, this little bundle of nerves to activate. And for some reason, I mean, there is a science to it, um, but it helps the whole spinal cord function as a whole. And if that's functioning, guess what happens to your energy? Now, if we really want to talk about energy, we talk about mitochondria, but that's another thing. Um, personally, being an asthmatic, breathing is a big thing for me. But what I found, when I was in med school, there was a new lab, and it really intrigued me. It was called biofeedback. They were teaching doctors, or soon-to-be doctors, about biofeedback. Uh, they were talking about relaxation. They were talking about uh, the brain and uh, neurocognitive issues. They were talking about blood pressure, and they were talking all these things. I had to be part of that. I had... Is probably the most amazing class I took in med school. It changed my life. And one of the big things about relaxation was breathing. Slow abdominal breathing. Easy, relaxing. Um, it changed my life. I, it turned me into a meditator. I meditate every day. I also do a breathing practice every day. Um, if you really yeah. want to get into a breathing practice, um, HeartMath, one of the few groups that I actually 
speak about. HeartMath Institute in Santa Cruz and in, in Boulder Creek, California. I've come across them. They do some amazing work and they really do. One of the things that I'm seeing more and more and more are problems with the vagus nerve. Right. Vagus nerve is, is the largest nerve in our body. It controls the heart. It controls your bathroom uh, needs. It controls so many things. It's also what you feel when you feel love. It's also what you feel when you feel loss, grief, and anxiety. And so when we know that the vagus nerve is not working, that's when people are anxious. But I see more and more people that are anxious these days. And so I give them to do some breath work. It's really simple breath work. You know, uh, it's a, um, a count of 10 or six breaths per minute. Slow abdominal, not forcing it. And after a while, you see the anxiety go. Now, there's also things about anxiety that, you know, uh, was it, I think, this is just a guess because I'm not remembering, about 50% of population is magnesium deficient. One of the things the vagus nerve needs is magnesium. So, if it's not working, let's find out why. Uh, but breathing is so essential to me. And I think it's essential to health. Mm -hmm. The same as exercise, I, you know, getting sunshine, uh, getting rest. Those are all needed. Yep. The Heart Math Institute seems to talk about the idea of the heart having almost like cognitive function or being able to picking up things before the brain does and and it almost seems like the idea that that people um, their hearts kind of pick up on I don't know the, the, the vibrations or something or pick up on I'm, I'm not sure how, how they put it exactly but some of the animations are like two people's hearts they have a rhythm and they can come into sort of harmony yeah, is that what do you think about that kind of stuff? Um, I keep looking into it. Uh -huh. um, there's not enough there for me to say, oh, this is, but um, for me, uh, there have been times when. Uh, what they call heart coherence. When I know that I'm in coherence, that people can... One time I was accused of, of throwing Shakti pot. I didn't even know what Shakti pot was at the time. 
I had to go look it up. But it's something that uh, gurus uh, send out in their vibration for healing and stuff. And I went, oh, okay. I I guess I did that. I don't know. It, it's, it was, I, I felt coherence at the time. And it's a brain heart coherence. And, and yeah, the heart does have a brain of its own. Very small brain, but the evidence is there. What, what was the experience with the Shakti part that they were talking about? They could feel me. Right. And there are times that, that I've been what they call coherence, heart coherence, cardiac coherence, uh, when you know it's something like being in the zone for athletes, mm -hmm. um, which could very possibly, I've never looked into being in the zone, but it could very likely be something to do with the vagus nerve itself as well. Uh huh. Uh, well, when, when when you bring up the vagus there, and you were also talking about the bottom with the spine and breathing, and then there's like the kundalini experience people talk about. Is that something you think much about or look into? I don't think much about it. Um, uh, uh, I know that you've done some uh, uh, done an interview with with Robert Snyder, mm -hmm. Dr. Robert Snyder. Uh, one time, he and I uh, went to uh, a biofeedback center in Santa Cruz, California. Um, and uh, we were talking about some of these things. Uh, they were more concerned about neurofeedback at this center. Um, and so we were talking about that. Uh, but Robert is very, uh, Dr. Snyder is very much into Kudalini and was talking Kudalini with them. And they're going, yeah, yeah, this is why, this is why, this is why, this is why. And he's going, oh, yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah. Um, uh, well, let, let's let's talk about what you do, how you help people, and how people can find out more about you. Okay. Um, right now, my focus is scattered, <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, I have a website. It's recoverhealth.info. Uh, the idea for the website primarily is I have about 100 articles in my head, all science backed. You've read uh, the, the iodine article, you said. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you saw how well footnoted it was. Very well written, yeah. And, and that I don't use somebody else's theories. I don't use something from a book or an article. I use studies, peer-reviewed studies only. I have over 100 articles that I want to talk about. I want to talk about 
multiple sclerosis and how milk is a cause. Nobody wants to talk about causation. I had an aunt who had MS and she drank a cup of milk every day. And I think if, if she was it had stopped, we may have turned her around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she by the time that, that I had any idea about this stuff, she was long gone. Uh, bless her heart. Sweet lady. Um, but there's so much, uh, so much science that nobody hears about because all they want, all that the that's being propagated to the, the public is about, oh, this drug's doing this, this drug's going to do that. But the nutrition can turn everything around. Uh, autoimmune disease. Chronic fatigue is what we talked about before. There's so many things. I want to put out an article on all of this stuff. Yeah. Um, that's the main purpose of the website. Brilliant. And that's recoverhealth.info. Yes. Now, the thing is, I've been delayed on doing some writing there because I found this urgency, this time-sensitive situation. Um, we all know about it. It's called COVID. And I see where some nutrition and lifestyle changes can help those with long COVID. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's kind of an obvious thing. But, and also those who have been vaccine injured. So I've got two books that I'm desperately trying to get out. You write books, you know the time that it takes to put those out. So my focus is on these books because there are people who don't even want to understand about health. Right. But they want, they're tired of feeling bad. Yeah. So I, I have this urgency to put these books out. So everything on the website, everything on my social media is being delayed. And for those waiting for for the article on um, on uh, some autoimmune disease or something, I apologize. Uh, <laughs> it's coming. It's coming, and it's going to take a long time to get there. And uh, but and do you work with part what you call health partners still? Which I do. I do clients. I, I can't. I can't. I can't say no to anybody. <laughs> um. I do charge though. I don't do things for free. Sure, sure. Uh, I used to do them for free. I used to do it for free all the time. And my wife got tired of being poor. She says, when are we going to be able to eat some of the good foods? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I still take care of people. Uh, that's, uh, you can also access that on uh, my website. Um, and um, I still try to keep up a little bit on social media. 
Uh, I, what I try to do I'm primarily is if there's a new study that I've, I just come across that I'm in dire need to share, I put it onto social media. Whether people really see it as, I'm saying, oh yeah, well, okay, I don't need that. But there are things that really come up that are just really, really interesting and something that, that can deal with our lives. Uh, yes, it, it's primarily things like uh, plant-based diets and how they work, uh, but I put that up. Um, every once in a while, I, I still have yet, this is Breast Awareness Month that we're talking to. I don't know when you're going to be able to put this up, but this is Breast Awareness Month, which I believe should be Breast Prevention Awareness Month because we find that most breast cancer can be prevented. That's big. But another thing that I need to put up, and I'm going to try to get up this week, is uh, a connection to a movie that came out over 10 years ago that people don't know about. It's called Pink Ribbon, Inc. Uh -huh. And it's about how the... Uh, how breast cancer has been taken over by corporate America, corporate. Right. And people need to know about that. So that's going to be up this week, probably. So those are the kind of things that I do. Mm -hmm. um, when I do work with health partners, the first thing I do is I analyze their diet. They get a history form and it's pretty extensive. And I ask people to, Give me the details. Um, so take your time on it. Uh, give me all your te lab tests or your reports, your medical reports, so I get a better understanding. And then I do a dietary analysis. And it's really thorough. People say, well, I ate this, this, and this. But no, no, I don't need this, this, and this. I need to know how many bananas you ate. I need to know how much poundage of lettuce you ate. I need to know, oh, you had a, uh, um, a Trader Joe's wrap. Uh, uh, Trader Joe's sells wraps, you know, prepared wraps. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so you had that. Then I take it and analyze it, and I find out how much nutrition you're actually getting in an average week. It's a whole week that they have to do journal. Yeah. A lot of people say, well, it's too hard. Well, this is how we know what's going into your body. And there are some people who say, well, that doesn't really count for anything. It gives us a rough estimate. And getting a rough estimate or guessing, I think I'll take the estimate. It's a more educated way to go. And then we, we talk about that. And then I suggest tests. I almost always do a nutrition test and I almost always do a stool test to find out what's going on with the body. Mm -hmm. Everybody else has gone to their doctor and they have all these other tests. Great. I use that. But nobody comes to me with proper nutrition testing, knowing about what they have and what, what they don't have. So then we can go on. Then we, instead of guessing, we know exactly where to go. 
exactly where to go and what to do. Somebody's having problems sleeping, and all of a sudden you take a look at, oh, you're low in magnesium. Let's get some more greens into you. That's pretty easy, right? But all of a sudden they say, wow, I start sleeping really well. There you go. So, um, and then once we have some, some of the basics established, then we can work on the details. So it's not just a one-time conversation with me. Sure. It's, it's a bunch of work that we work together. We become partners. So that's what I do. <laughs> well, thank you, Tim. Thank you for joining me today. And thank you for being so open uh, about your life, your work and everything. And I encourage people to go to recoverhealth.info to learn more about Dr. Tim Trader. And really appreciate the time today. Do you have any last message for those who are watching and listening? Yeah, don't give up. Um, there's a lot of people that a couple of years ago, there was a rash of people quitting raw food and their YouTube stays up. Again and again, I find that people just don't look deep enough. You know, you, we get into some theory, some idea, oh, I should be doing this or this. Find out what's going on. We don't come into raw food pure and healthy. I don't care if you say, oh, I didn't have a problem, but I raw food made sense. You didn't come in pure and healthy. So dealing with your history is something you have to do with as well as the present. And I see people giving up on the one thing that's going to take care of them. Yep. And all you have to do is dig a little deeper. And it's a, to switch things, it takes a lot of effort. To look into the deeper, it takes a little effort. What's the difference? It'd be better to do something that the science says again and again, this works. The other stuff doesn't work. When they compare the, the mind diet, when they compare the, the, the Mediterranean diet, the thing is they're always looking for, but it, it, it's like the vegan diet, but not. They're trying to become the vegan diet. And the vegan diet's trying to become the raw diet. Let's just go and do the right thing and find out how we can improve it. Sure. So don't give up. Great message. Thank you very much, Tim. And everyone, uh, thank you for watching and listening. If you want to learn more about the raw vegan lifestyle, consider coming to UK Fruit Fest, fruitfest.co.uk. If you want to learn more about that next year, it'll be uh, 21st to the 28th of July. That's UK Fruit Fest, fruitfest.co.uk. And you can also consider joining us on Fridays for our live Fruity Friday shows. And Tim was part of that. And we have other speakers and guests uh, every, every Friday. So uh, if you go to fruitfest.co.uk, once again, you can join the mailing list to learn more about all that stuff. 
Thank you very much, Tim. Thank you, everyone, for watching. And we'll see you in the next episode of the Love Print Podcast. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Ronnie.